0: Take your Bibles, turn to First Thessalonians, we're poking our way through the end of the book here. Thessalonians is a church, it's a church that has a lot of strengths, a lot of good things. They're a the second coming church, they're looking at the coming of the Lord Jesus, and we want to keep our eyes on that Lord coming. But here at the end of First Thessalonians chapter 5, we've come to a whole series of horatories, A horatory is a command, isn't it? Do this, clean your room, go there, stop, uh, go, whatever you would want to. It's another way of saying it's a command. And so we started with about verse 12. Um, We worked our way out, verse 11, I'm sorry. Wherefore, comfort yourselves with some truths that you're to edify one another and uh, we talked about leadership. We talked about the brethren that are, have a wrong spirit, and those that are sort of discouraged, and those that are uh, uh, just are weak in their in their faith. We need to encourage. And then we dealt with um, how we deal with the unsaved. That we're not to render evil for evil, and it's never right. And that's whether the that within the church, without the church and then last week we came across the trio rejoice evermore pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you and I hope each one of those has been a blessing. Remember what is the what is the result of listening to these commands or these horatories? The the answer there is found in verse 23 and the very God of peace will sanctify you. If you want peace, you have to do it God's way. If you don't want peace, then do it your own way and your life will be stirred up like a twisted tail on a cat. I mean, you just, it's going to keep you stirred up. Um, So tonight, I had intended when I started studying this to jump and grab two, but the more I studied the first one, I know we will get to the second one, Lord willing, next week, verse 19, verse 19. All of four words. You ready? Quench not the Spirit. Sounds easy. Pretty uh, straightforward. It's one of those things that if you're a corporation, you're looking for a mission statement. That's pretty succinct, isn't it? Quench not the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight that our spirit would be in tune with your spirit and that, Lord, we would follow you. Help me as I preach. Help our ears to be wide open tonight and let us take the challenge that we need from this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning in our morning message, it really sort of worked out that the message dovetailed together. That's God's doing, not mine. But we talked about God's Holy Spirit, breathing across the congregation, bringing the dead bones together, and then when that body's brought together, it still needs life. Lord, breathe on me, breathe on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. We sang that song afresh tonight. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about the work of the Spirit, that he's working in our lives. He's enlivening us, and he's, he's doing things. How can you explain to somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ is our Savior. In Ephesians chapter 2, we find in verse 1, it says, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. One of the verses that was looked up tonight was Titus 3, 5, and it says that we're born of the Spirit. We're born again. We're born from on high. One of the things that is pretty obvious in people's lives, when they don't want to respond to the Spirit is there's no life. You can't... I, I use this illustration this morning trying to preach to, da, to Jeff, those dead bones. Until there's salvation, you're not going to be listening to the Holy Spirit about tithing, reading your Bible, soul winning, uh, getting rid of sin in your life. The first thing the Holy Spirit deals with in a person's life is getting saved. Uh, We're going to touch there tonight in John chapter uh, 16. It says he convinces a man of sin, judgment, and righteousness and judgment. God's going to convict a person. They need to be saved. And I'm convinced the reason why so many times there's a family, four, five, six people in a family, and there's two, one, two that don't seem to ever want. They're struggling and they can't seem to connect. They're just not saved yet. They're coming with the rest of the family. But how can you respond when you're dead? You're not connected. And I can't make you saved. I can't. You might be a nice person in a lot of ways. You may not be a super big rebel and all the rest. But you just can't respond when you don't know the Lord yet. You need to let the Holy Spirit quicken your spirit. You need to be born from on high. And uh, let me tell you, knowledge of salvation is not salvation. Do you know the devil believes in God, and yet he's lost? He says God is real. And you read the New Testament, several different places, the Lord refers to that very idea that that knowledge is not salvation. Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And that work, that miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that cannot be seen. John chapter 3 refers to it like the wind. It blows across the heart and you can't see it. And yet you can see the effects of it in a person's life. When a person gets saved, they're different. And my my Bible class, we're working through the book of James in the next few weeks. And I was in James preparing. They're they're reading James chapter 2. We're going to explain it this week. Faith without works is dead, being alone. If you read that out of context, it makes it sound like you got to do works to get saved. That's not what that passage teaches. What it teaches is you say you got faith. James says, "You show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you the evidence in my life of faith." And so, when we talk about quenching the Holy Spirit. A person that's not saved can't they're just not tuned. Their first work, the only work that they're going to be tuned into, the one that they need to hear is you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is the work of grace that needs to be done in your life tonight. I'm convinced many year times as we watch our children come up, and as they become, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, their ears start to become open, their spirit and their mind starts to be open, their tenth, eleventh grade, often they'll respond in a knowledge, but hasn't yet been a faith in the heart. There's there's a difference between those two. And often then, sometimes, a little bit later, and I find it to be 12, 13, 14 years old, many times there's this big assurance of salvation. And I can't help but wonder if that really isn't the time they get saved. Right there. So quench not the spirit. The first thing we can quench is the quenching of being saved. How many times has the Lord talked to your heart? And you know if I'm talking to you tonight. And the Lord's been knocking on your heart for weeks and months. He's been talking to you for a long time. Every time Pastor butts or you hear somebody preach on, are you sure you're saved inside your heart? Your little ear goes up and you say, I know I'm not saved, but my pride won't let me respond. You quench the spirit. This This is the ultimate quenching. The quenching of this spirit sends you to hell. See, the sin that, say, that sends a person to hell is not they smoked a cigarette or drank a beer or took drugs. It's the sin of unbelief and the saving power of Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the sin that will send you to hell. Quench not the Spirit. Tonight, could I ask you, are, are you saved? That's the, that's the biggest thing. If I, I, I've gotten so many times, even you might listen, poke your ear up sometimes when I'm giving an invitation. Do you have a Bible reason why you know you're saved? Do you know from the word of God and from what you've done in your faith, can you stand on the fact that you know that you know you're saved? Do you, do you know that you're saved? Are you sure? When I was uh, in college I used to go on the weekends down to Columbia South Carolina to a serviceman center and you know what the name of that serviceman center the, the guys would come off Fort Jackson they were brand new they'd get their first you know, six eight week pass they'd get a chance to go in town after all that you know that being worked over by the sergeant and drill sergeant and all the rest and they would come in and we would invite them into the servicemen center, play ping pong and pool, and, and we have food for them, and, and we'd minister to them, and we'd try to open up the Bible, and we'd ask them the question, if you know if you died, you go to heaven. The name of the servicemen center was the No so Servicemen Center. That's where I learned to really be a soul winner, in the No so Servicemen Center. So can I ask you a question? Do you know that you know, that you know a Bible reason why you can say, I stand on this and I know that I've been born from on high. The Holy Spirit maybe has been convicting you for a period of time, that you're not saved. Our church was very young and there was a lady that had about four children that she brought to church regularly and it seemed like I would say every couple weeks she would stay after church and she'd say, Pastor, I didn't understand what you were talking about in the message. Well, I was a young preacher. Maybe I didn't explain it well enough. I'd try to go back and explain it to her. And she just seemed to be rather, it seemed like naive. But she wasn't a naive person. She just didn't seem to understand a lot of what we were talking about. Little surprise, about two years into our church starting, one day we had an evangelist and this lady accepted Christ. And you know what? Most of the questions disappeared after that. She was dead. How could she understand when there was no life in her heart? Tonight, if church is dead for you, if you seem to get zero out of the messages, you can't understand why other people are saying, they get up and they give their testimonies, and you say, I just can't connect with that. Could it be the Holy Spirit's been trying to say to you, you need to be saved. And you can be saved tonight before you go home. You don't have to worry that if you die tonight that you would uh, end up in eternity in hell. You can know that you're saved. These things are written that ye might know that ye have eternal life. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Having laid that groundwork then, quench not the Spirit, we would say mostly. Here talks to Christians then. I'm saved. The Holy Spirit is now connected. It's sort of like, you know, I set up modems. I am not very good at all that electronic. My my sons have to help me, and Christian, and different people that come, and they say, it's so easy. It's connected. I say, okay, if you say so. Okay. But I know after that, all I got to do is push the right button, put my password in, and there it is. And most of the time, praise the Lord, they set up so it's automatic. Aren't you glad? You just turn on your device, and it just connects you right there. You say, amen. I didn't have to do anything. You know, that's the way it should be for us and the Lord. We get saved, and our modem is set on God and the Holy Spirit. Amen? I mean, it's just like we're connected, and, and the password's there, and, and we can go in Jesus' name, and, and he can speak to our hearts, and, and there, there's a connection through the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I can't see the modem tonight. Can you? Where's Bluetooth? It's here somewhere. Uh, Not that one. Let's see. Where's Bluetooth? I can't see the Holy Spirit. Can you? But he's working. He's working in lives. And here, he's imaged quench not the Spirit. He's imaged to be like a fire, a campfire. The last three or four years, we've had this fall festival. And boy, I tell you what, that wood comes out. And boy, don't we like to get that thing stoked up like 500 feet in the air? I mean, just, I mean, about as much as you can without the neighbors calling the fire department. Isn't that fun? I guess I'm the only pyromaniac in the group, okay? (laughs) I mean, we just get that thing. I see people, they say, we're getting ready to go home. And somebody goes, big old long, puts it on there anyhow. And so after everybody goes home, guess what? The fire is still going. So usually I and another person, Pastor Stephen or whoever we're out, we're out there, and, you know, we have to quench the fire. One of the first things we do in quench the fire is we begin to stir it up and spread it out a little bit. Sort of push all that stuff so the hot coals are spread out. And boy, have you ever pushed a fire and it was red? hot coals and it's dark and there's a whoo that heat's blowing off them and then they begin to have little gray spots you know what i'm talking about they begin to cool down little spots and then you get this spot then usually we go get some big buckets of water some big pails of water and we begin to swash it on and get the garden hose and put two or three of them together we get out to where the fire is and and we spray it down and then we come in and i've learned my lesson you have to go back out because sometimes you didn't quite quench it all the way Sometimes those logs inside, they sort of have some embers inside and they dry out and they'll, poof, they'll pop right back up and they can catch the rest of that thing on fire. So you got to make sure it's dead. Otherwise, you could burn the whole field down here. And get, I mean, get in big trouble. Uh, I could tell you stories about that. But anyhow, my point is you quench it. I think we all know how to quench fires. Uh, Smokey the bear. You know, he says, make sure you don't get this fire going. And we and he tells you, you know, be careful with all that kind of stuff. So the Holy Spirit is imaged here of this roaring, burning fire in our midst, and he says, don't throw any water on him. Don't disperse it abroad. Don't try to minimize it. Don't try to push it aside. Can you sense this idea of quenching in your own heart sometimes? Holy Spirit speaking in hearts, and we're pushing it aside, and we're just sort of pouring. I know I'm supposed to respond, but we just pour a little water on that thought. This is what it's this is the image of it. Let's go back, if you would, with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter two, and remind us of the day of Pentecost. This isn't the first time we find the image of fire given to the Christian. The Holy Spirit, when he came in this special ministry to the church in the early days, the people were gathered together. It says in verse 1, Acts 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared an Them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And we could go on and talk about this, but it's image this little, this little like piece of fire is just sort of dancing over their head. The wind, the rushing. And today, didn't we talk about prophesy to the four winds, the corners of the earth, come down on those dead bones? And tonight, we talk about the fire of God burning in the heart of the believers, amen. It's the Holy Spirit working in the midst of that person's heart. Old Testament, they often talked about when the prophet, he would preach, and he'd have have a burning in his heart, a burning in his chest. Matter of fact, Jeremiah, I believe it was, or Isaiah, Jeremiah, he said, "I I got so upset that people weren't listening to me, so I decided to keep my mouth shut. But there was such a burning inside. The Holy Spirit was so filling me to speak that I felt like I was going to blow up and I just couldn't help but preach. That's the Holy Spirit's power. And so it talks about this burning in his heart. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit quickens a person, first of all, for salvation. And then as you're saved, he quickens. What does that word quicken means? He makes you alive. It's a big word for it makes you alive. Brings me to salvation, my eyes open up, I'm alive, and then he opens my eyes to a lot of different things. I'm alive to this world and the spiritual walk, and I can see the spiritual task before me and the road. And it's the light God's showing me. He's quickening my steps, and he enlivens me. In other words, he motivates me. He gets me up and he gets me going and gets my feet on the right path. And he makes me want to walk for him. The Holy Spirit is stirring me in my heart. He's quickening me. He's, he, he's enlivening me. And then third of all, he's purifying me. The Holy Spirit is going through my life and he's just burned away the dross. He's taken all that wicked stuff, all the, all the nasty stuff in my life, and he's convicted me of you know dirty, rotten, stinky language, dirty thinking, bad habits. He's going right down, and he's burning it all the way. Amen? All that worldliness, all that stuff that brings stinking death and keeps me from having the power of God in my life. He's purifying my life. He's refining me. He's taken me from, you know, when I'm saved, maybe like a five five uh, carat uh, uh, gold. And he's taken me to ten carat gold, to fourteen carat gold, hey, to twenty four carat gold. Amen. He's just taken out more and more of the, infirm, uh, of the of the wrong stuff out of my life. So he's refining my life. You know, if you're letting the Holy Spirit work in your life. Your life is not the same as it was a year ago. It's purer, it's cleaner, it's more directed. It's you're alive. You're following the steps of Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit is there. He's comforting me. He's strengthening me in the hard times of this world. This nasty now and now. Then we find the Holy Spirit directs you. He directs your feet. He shows you where to put them. He talks about the landmines that are there. Be careful, don't put your foot there. He talks about walking circumspectly. Circum meaning walk around, that I am supposed to walk around the things in the world that aren't there, but I'm supposed to put my feet in certain safe steps, stepping stones. Listen, growing up in the country, you learn to walk circumspectly two ways. Number one, when you followed a cow. Walking down the road, cows don't stop and go to the bathroom. They stop and just whenever they want to, right down the road, and they leave little pies. Look, I call them cow pies. I'll be glad to sell you a couple afterwards if you want one. All right, okay. You don't step in cow pies. And if you're not paying attention, I remember my sister would have some of the city slicker girls over sometimes to spend the night, and they'd come down the barn, and they'd have these brand new, you know, nice shoes, you know, nice tennis shoes, they walk, and they'd walk right down the barn, right in that stuff, all right, you got to learn to walk circumspectly in the barn, all right, you just got to. Then the second place you have to learn to walk circumspectly is out when you're going across the creek, not creek, you're going across the creek. And when you go step across that water, you got to put your feet on the right rocks to get across. You ever try to cross something like that? You start, And you, what, you put your foot over here, and if, and if you don't get your feet in the right place, where are you sitting pretty soon? You're sitting down in the water. And so you learn certain things by experience, but in our case, using that imagery, the Holy Spirit's teaching me how to walk, amen? Through this world, put my feet on solid rocks. He's directing my path. Remember, next, he's protecting me. Boy, he's giving me discernment, isn't he? Here comes something along the way, and the Holy Spirit says, Woo, watch out, not a good friend. Excuse me, that preacher that you're listening to in the radio, he started out good, but wait a minute, he's going a little bit left here. You might want to turn that guy off. He's protecting you. From bad doctrine. He's protecting you and guiding you, and we could develop that more. He's teaching me. The Holy Spirit is helping me. We use a, a biblical word. He's edifying my spirit. He's tel- helping me to grow in my spiritual life. So there's a lot of things the Holy Spirit is doing in our life, but what is the action talked about here? The action that's talked about here, he says, Be careful that you do not quench the Holy Spirit. When he speaks that you're 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 and let's use the word with water, you're dampening. What happens when you dampen a fire? I, I grew up as a young boy. We had a wood-burning stove down in the basement, big old chunks of wood. You chew, that's how we heated the house. And there, were, and sometimes you want to make sure that didn't get too hot or too cool. And they had this little, that right within the air coming into that furnace, they had a little, little louver and you could turn it a little bit this way a little, and you dampen the oxygen coming in. And so, when you talk about you're going to dampen the Holy Spirit, you just sort of choke him off, you see. And so, this idea of, of we're contrary, we're, we're 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 giving the Holy Spirit a cold shoulder. Uh, we're not allowed. We're hindering His work in our life. We're giving Him a a, a, a stiff arm. The Bible in the Old Testament often uses this word. In the same idea of quenching, he says, don't be stiff-necked. Or hard-hearted. What is stiff-necked? I I, I like to use the image. You're talking to one of your children, and you're trying to give them some teaching about what their behavior needs to be changed, and all of a sudden, you see their body tense up, right? And you're talking to them, they go. They're just locking down and they're not going to listen. And you know if you're a parent one of the things you say you know what you yeah, we're, just we could sit here all night son what is this, a stare-down contest? Is this a lockdown contest? Uh, you could go to your room until that attitude changed. We could ground you for, from here to eternity, but that's not going to work. Amen, parents? You don't allow them to stiffen up and lock down because if they do, they're just going to keep going down further and further, and they're going to lock into some wrong behavior. And so the Holy Spirit says, Quench not. Stiffen not your heart. Don't, don't allow your heart to get hard. And you know how, how something gets hard? It's sort of like layer by layer of, of stiffening your heart. Sort of picture when the first time that I, I, I helped to, I stripped something down a piece of wood, I stained it, I was so proud of myself. And I said, boy, we want it to stay that way. And so we went down to one of the hardware stores and we bought some sort of a Varnish. There's a better name for it, but uh, some sort of a varnish. And you paint it across that. It's just clear. It just covers it over. And I remember, boy, now it looked really nice and glistening. I got sort of the the, the, the glossy. I mean, it was beautiful. And I remember the person I was helping, when they said, that's one layer. So what do you mean one layer? They said, let it dry for a day or two. Then you take just a teeny bit of, of a... Of a sandpaper and just tighten it up a little bit and then you put another layer over it and let it sit for a day or two and pretty soon you got two, three, four layers and now you let it harden. A couple weeks has gone by and you can bounce BBs off the thing. I don't want my heart to be like that. When the Holy Spirit would speak to my heart, that the Holy Spirit's conviction is just bounce off like BBs off a hardened heart. And that's what happens when you go Sunday after Sunday, circumstance after circumstance, conviction after conviction, and the Holy Spirit's working in your life. He says, quench not the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. He's God. Do you know, if God cares enough to tap on the shoulder of your heart and say, here's a better way or you need to straighten out or here's my call to do. We ought to say, thank you, God. But instead, we quench him. We quench him with words we say, actions we do, with tempers we throw. We quench him by choosing the world instead of Christ's way in our life. Sometimes we just do things to just sort to, to of drown out his words. Let me just sort of poke at something. One of the things is that really people use a lot is wrong music to drown out the conviction of God. Dr. Hodges has an illustration he's used, more of his era. But he said, "All it used to be back in the '40s and '50s. You had these these cars, and they they would get maybe a bad lifter or bad sort of an engine noise. And you want to sell the car, and if you're a little dishonest, what you would do, you somebody would go to take that thing for a drive, and the motor is going to go, he's not going to buy it." So you reach over and you loosen. They used to have flaps to keep the mud from flying up on the car. So you just loosen a couple nuts around the flaps of the mud. And so as you're going on the road going, flap, 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 louder than the tick, 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 tick. Nobody hears it, you see. There's a lot of studies that have been done that people, when they're wanting to do something really wrong they'll get into this heavy rock music that stirs up their spirit and they'll jump, they'll just override their conscience and go rob that bank. Can I tell you, Christians, music, wrong music, music that's of this world, music that Christians have no business listening to is a way that you can quench the spirit. I know my wife's into music, but I can't tell you how many times she's diagnosed. There's somebody going down the wrong way. They're just getting further and further. They won't listen. They're quenching. They're hardening, and my wife will say, "I bet you if we could look in their home, we'd find they're turning up the music, turning up the wrong music, music that has something to do with the flesh." You know, a lot of times we preach against all, you know all the rock music and the four-letter word music. But can I tell you, just as bad as country western music. So, Oh my goodness, Pastor, today was western day. You can't preach against that. <laughs> but you know, a lot of that stuff is really, I remember dealing about 15, 20 years ago, there was a group of three or four kids in our youth group that were rebelling against their parents. And out came, in this case, there were some tapes. And the tapes they were listening to was how, how their parents were so bad and, and all these different things, and they were feeding on that instead of responding to the right thing. Country Western has a lot of that garbage and rebellion run around having three or four women and all that kind of stuff. You know I'm right. And we're over here preaching against this heavy rock and roll and, and this stuff that's got the heavy bang and bang, bang music. Sometimes it's a different kind. You be careful of the music that you listen to. Your music can cover the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm concerned in the contemporary church. What do you see on their platform? Their entertainment with the, with the guitars and the, and, the, and the bands and the music so loud that you can't hear the words. Do you see me many times tune back our instruments so that we can hear the words? we got to be careful of our music. So we we, we got to be responding to the Holy Spirit. Don't dampen him. In different contexts... One of the places the Holy Spirit deals with Christians a lot about is relationships. We're often thinking, well, you know, get rid of the cigarettes, get rid of the line, get rid of the internet, and we shouldn't. But can I tell you what? The Lord says, get rid of your anger. Get rid of your malice. Get rid of your revenge. Get rid of your bitterness. Get rid of your unkindness. Get rid of your unholy temperament that you're walking around acting like all the time. And boy, we just don't like to hear that. So what is the Holy Spirit doing in my heart? How does this conviction work? He's given me discernment. What's discernment? Well, the Bible in the Old Testament talks about as you get older, a child gets discernment. The first, one of the first things a child learns, and a matter of fact, when we're testing kindergartners, it's one of the questions that's on the list, can you tell me what your right hand is? what your left hand is that's discernment and the bible talks about that when we get saved the holy spirit begins to say this is your right hand you understand the image this is your left hand this is right this is wrong this is the way you go don't go this is forward this is backward this is higher this is these are all discernments my wife recently just started a few new new piano students and she She would have them turn their face and she would say, did this note hit this note? Now is this note higher or lower? Can you discern notes? Can you hear? And she's teaching them to hear certain things that are are there. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us what is right and what is wrong. And Christians, we've got to tune our ear to him. Years ago, there was a man that I was trying to reach and uh, reach out to is a man that tunes pianos. And he came over to our church and I, w- I was listening to and working with him. And i never forget, he, he was showing me how that you could tune a note. You get a string and, and he's tightening the pegs right in here. Don't touch these things, by the way. But there's little things that you turn tighter or you're loosened and that note goes, like a down. And when you get it just, the right place, he would just go, and he'd tighten it right in, and then, bing, and he would, he could take a tuning fork or an electronic tuner, and he'd say, bing, bing, oh, it's right on, and he'd go, bing, 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 and I couldn't hear it. I would say, they all sound like it. He said, Pastor Budsett, above or below, you know, I couldn't hear it. He said, anybody can hear this. I said, I couldn't hear it. So that was a challenge to him. So for the next hour, he worked me over. And guess what? After an hour of this man patiently working with me, when he hit the note, I could tell one was higher and one was lower, and when it was right on, he said, Pastor Butts, come and help me tune pianos. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He's teaching us to discern right and wrong in our life. Number two, the Holy Spirit's convicting our heart. You ever been under conviction? What's it feel like? Uh, You describe it. A burning in the chest, a pinching in the heart, a a miserableness of the spirit. I mean, you just got domination of your thinking. Am I right? You can't walk away from this. The Holy Spirit is just like he grabs a hold of you and he's getting your attention. And it's like a parent just saying, look me in the eye. He's convicting you. This needs to better, worse, change. The Holy Spirit calls to service. I want you to go teach a Sunday school class. I want you to work a bus route. I want you to carry tracks in your pocket. I want you to pack up your bags and be a missionary. I want, and the Holy Spirit calls to you to surrender your life. The Holy Spirit stirs you to devotion. He says, you know what? Somebody needs to to get out there and be devoted to the work of God. And he, he stirs you to devotion and he stirs you to get up out of your seat and he stirs you to action. He stirs you to be a soul winner. Holy Spirit, that person right next to you, working next to you, you should talk to him when you go in today. And speak to your your worker You ever had that? You, you just he just works on your heart. You need, and I tell you there are many many times I'm busy going, I'm busy doing something, and I'm rushing down, and I walk past somebody here, and I could if I really wanted to witness to him, but I'm in a busy. And the Holy Spirit says, go back and talk to him. You ever had that happen? And you ever? It should be no struggle when he speaks to you, but is it a struggle? but Lord, I'm in a hurry. But Lord, somebody, But let the, and the Lord doesn't leave you alone, does he? Until you turn around with the car or whatever, and you go back and you talk to him. And it's amazing when that happens, when it's so strong. They'll say, you know, I was just this morning saying, God, if you could just make yourself plain to me, and you just accidentally came and talked to me. You see, the Holy Spirit's wanting to use you The Holy Spirit brings the unity of the brethren. I've touched on it a couple of times recently. Do you know a church needs to stay unified? And God just is always working at bringing together. You know, you ever see that old patriarch in a family? And he's like the grandpa or the great grandpa, and he's getting ready, you know, he's getting older, he's getting ready to die. And he said, What's your last request? I just want this family. To stay close and talk. You know what I mean? I just want y'all to love each other and no more fighting. And you know, you've been fighting since you were born. And I want you guys, I mean, you're like 75 now. It's time for you to stop fighting. That's a Holy Spirit. He wants the unity of the brethren. So what's the result when we quench? What's the result when a person quenches the heart? They get a hard heart. What happens when you get a hard heart? You have a heart attack. When the first people I led to the Lord years ago at Westside Baptist Church was a man that I'd witnessed to and witnessed to and witnessed to, and one day finally he went in the hospital, and literally the doctor said, "You, everything in your body, every all those arteries are so hard that your heart is just not—it's not plastic enough. It's just hardening up." And we're just waiting. This man's ready to die at any moment. Got a chance to lead that man to the Lord two weeks before he died. Do you know the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to have a spiritual heart attack and die? There are stories, and I don't want to go down the line of telling stories, but there are stories of churches where a person becomes that sour man, that sour lady in a church to a point where they're just poisoning, and God says, you know what? I've got to get rid of that hard heart, and God literally lets them have a heart attack, and they're out. I don't want God to have to deal with me that way that I become such an obstacle, such, such a, a negative influence within God's family or God's work that he has to remove me. Another result. We talked about this morning when we get dry bones and the ground gets dry, and when the rain comes on the ground, no longer does it soak in, it rolls off. We come to church and the messages roll off routinely. Just just rolls off the roof, it just it just just flows away. There's nothing left, there's no fruit, there is no life given, there was no energy given from that. The result is the quenching, it brings a hardness, it brings a callousness, it takes away the thirst for the things of God. You know, the Bible teaches that every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. We looked up 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 6 and 7. It's he, Paul tells to Timothy, stir up the gift, not quench the gift. Stir up the gift that is within you. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and of courage and of a sound mind. Don't follow your flesh. Follow the spirit. Quench not the spirit of God. Could I remind you a couple of things about the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit's working in your life, he almost always uses the Bible. This is the Holy Spirit's tool of choice right here. That's why the devil hates this book so much. When people start hardening their heart, they start running from the church services, they start running from their personal devotions, they stop memorizing the word of God. Do you find yourself resisting this, getting from underneath this book? Can I challenge you? Today's Roundup Sunday. Would you make a renewed effort to be in Sunday school for the rest of the year? Dr. Pope's a great teacher for the adults. Brother Guerrero is doing a wonderful job with the teenagers. I tell you what, he's so excited, I can hardly hold him down. He's he's so excited to teach those teenagers the Word of God. I'm teaching the home builders. We had a great time today. Brother Mark was working with the with Spanish class, and every one of those teachers all the way down to the kindergarten, they're loving to teach the Word of God. Put yourself under a place where the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart. Don't quench Sunday school. Don't quench being here on Sunday nights. I don't care if it is the Super Bowl. You be where God can speak to you. God uses the word God. Number two, I would say to you, the Holy Spirit never contradicts this book. If you try to reason in your heart I know that, but I know the Scripture, but I feel in your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And it's amazing how we, in our rebellion against God's conviction and quenching atmosphere, that we'll begin to hold things equal to or superior to the teachings of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses this book. He never contradicts this book. Now let's go to the book of John, chapter 16, please. Verse 7, Jesus talking here. Nevertheless, John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, but for if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, that's what Jesus did in the book of Acts chapter 1, I will send him, that's the Holy Spirit, unto you. And when he, that's the Holy Spirit, is come, he, the Holy Spirit, will, number one, reprove the world of sin. First thing the Holy Spirit does, it convicts us of sin. We need to be saved as a Christian. Then he continues to convict of sin. Number two, he then reproves the world of righteousness. This is the right way. Jesus is God's righteousness. That's the first conviction. But after I'm saved, the Holy Spirit is always leading me towards righteousness according to the word of God. And then he says of judgment. One day, the Holy Spirit reminds us that everything in your life in my life will go before the throne of God and we will have to give an answer for our lives. Amen? And the Holy Spirit is there to remind us there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a payday. There's sin. There's righteousness. And here is judgment. And you better be ready. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. If you're saved, you better be ready to give an account for what you've done, whether it's been good or whether it's been bad. Hey, how about if we just took this week in your life, we took these past seven days and we gathered them together and put them all together Have you been doing what the Holy Spirit wants you to do? Did you witness to anybody this week? Did you have devotions this week? Did you have some vices in your life that the Holy Spirit said don't, but you did? Have you been quenching the Holy Spirit just in the past seven days? Very close to quenching the Holy Spirit is Ephesians chapter 4. Look over there with me, please. There's a different word used here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And here's the word, Ephesians 4.30. What's the second word? And what? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Before we quench, we grieve. Parents, have you ever been grieved with your kids? What's it mean to be grieving? It breaks your heart. You know, it's one thing to quench the Holy Spirit and just say, you know, I'm, I'm just pushing the kid." It's another thing to just break God's heart over the way you're acting. Have you ever said to yourself, concerning a situation, "I've told them a hundred times. I've told them, and I've told them, and I've told them. I don't know how else to get their attention. They know better. They were taught better." Amen. Can you imagine how the Holy Spirit feels in us? We've grieved Him. We've quenched Him. But what is? The, let's don't lose the context. What do, what do we grieve? I said as I started to study this out in more, many of the times that we grieve the Holy Spirit is exactly what this passage is. So let's see what this passage is. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and then he gives us the positive. But rather, you should be what? Be kind one to another. Keep your heart tender. Forgiving one another. Even Do you see? What, what, area, is the, what, what, what area grieves you most, Mom? Is it your kids fighting? But we could have a lot of hands raised on this. How many times you go in there? Kids, if I come in here again. One of my children was on a trip recently, and they were taking their kids, and they they called my wife, and they were frustrated. They said, next time, we're going to take a bus, and the kids are going to be way back there. Oh, I've had enough of my kids in that backseat. How many have ever been through that? Grieved. Just grieves me. They know better. And they're sitting there, and you just have to poke one more time. Why did you start the way? I didn't. He did. She did. They did. I was first. That was my seat. I'm not talking about kids now. I'm talking the way Christians act. How come I didn't get to? How come they got noticed? Wasn't I first? I've been here longer. We've got to be careful that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, that we don't cause the Holy Spirit to be uptight with us all areas of our lives, but especially between one another. I can't tell you how important it is that when you walk out the doors of church and you come in the doors of church, that we be at peace one with another. I think the Holy Spirit's all for that. Turn to Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah Jeremiah chapter 63. Would you look at verse 10? Talking about Israel grieving God. Look at the way he touches it here, how they didn't react to the Holy Spirit correctly. Let's see what the words are here, verse 10. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. What does it mean to rebel? Rebel you're told not to, and you turn around and do the very thing that you were told not to do. I wonder how many times the Holy Spirit brings to our attention, whether our devotions, there's a message, and the Lord says, don't. And we turn right around within like minutes and we rebel. The word vex. That word "vex" is the idea sort of like giving something like a headache. Wonder if we just don't give God a headache? Just rebel and and we're vexing God, and God's just saying, "Oh, that person." I mean. I've been working with them and I've spoken to them and they reveled and they have vexed me. They're just going right against, they're just looking. You ever had somebody, they, they do it, they look at you before they do it and they just do it anyhow? That's vexing. We vex the Holy Spirit. Don't miss the rest. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. Do you realize there's a point that when we quench and we vex and we rebel and, and we grieve the Holy Spirit, instead of him de- being able to deal with us like a loving, now God's going to have to deal with him like an enemy. What does that mean? God takes off his belt. I tell you what, when my dad took off his belt... I think my dad must he's not a Christian, but I think he knew a principle of scripture. He said, if it comes off, there's no more stopping it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You cross the line, son. And God doesn't want to be the point where we rebelled, we pushed back, we grieved, we vexed him until we then, God says, I'm, going to have to, I'm not going to be able to treat you like family and friends. I'm going to have to treat you like I do the enemy. That's not the way God wants to treat his church or his people or his children. Or, God, that's not his desire. Have you been ignoring his conviction? Have you been not yielding his control? Have you not been allowing him in? I haven't told this story for a while, but many, many, many years ago, there was a girl that her brother and sister brought her here to our church. She was from outside the country, and her parents were trying to work with her, and and she came, she grew up in a good Christian pastor's home. And this girl was just in rebellion, and so she came to the United States. She's living with her sister and brother. She came to church, and she could sing all the songs like um, Wings as Eagles or Servant's Heart. She knew all. And when we would sing, she really liked music, not so much the words, but she just brighten up. But as soon as you would pick up the Bible, this is what you would see. Now, she wasn't there. Later on, when she got right with God, she told her sister, this is what I used to do. Listen, this is what she used to do for many months and many years. The preacher would say, turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. And she would open it up. She would put on her church face. And then she would pretend in her mind that she would then be in a room. And she would walk to a door, an imaginary door. And she'd walk down a set of stairs and walk down another set of stairs, and walk down another set of stairs. And she'd keep going way down in the basement. And she'd sit down there. And she would just play it in her mind, just play games. And she would do all kinds of stuff. But she left her ear open so she would hear a trigger word. And there are certain words that pastors say that are trigger words. Finally, oh, it's time to go. I better get back upstairs. The pastor's winding up. And so she would walk back up the stairs imaginary, and she'd work her way back up. And the whole time, she's there. Nobody outside knew that she was in rebellion. She was sitting there. She looked just like her, But inside, she's closed down. She's resisting. She's not hearing a word. She doesn't want to hear a word. Everything's bouncing off. Nothing is landing. She did not intend to come and get anything out of church. Nothing was going to touch her. And about the time everything was all said and done, she walked through the door, and she'd be sitting there. She was back in church. Amen. God bless you. You have a good week. Good sermon, Pastor Butz. say, people don't really do that. Oh, they don't? They don't? Yes, they do. I'll never forget 20 years ago, we had a pretty good youth group. We've had a lot of good youth groups. And this little group got, it's sort of, I call it the bit in their mouth, a the rebellion. They were just sort of getting full of themselves, and they weren't listening too well to whoever it was that was at the head of them and we announced we're going to Southland. Well, they signed up. We took 30 kids to Southland. We took two van loads. Boy, there's a good group that went up there. They came back. The kids are getting up on Sunday night to give testimonies. Do we ever do that? Yeah. And testimony after testimony went something like this. We knew that my mom and dad signed me up to go to Southland. I, w- I, w- I wanted to go, and I wanted to go out in the lake, and I wanted to go be with my friends, but I made up my mind before I went that I was not going to make a decision this year. Is that quenching the Holy Spirit? Praise God, they ran into Tom Farrell and the Holy Spirit. And God worked in their life and broke down that resistance in their life. And they said, you know, God has broke. And you know, that particular year, do you know what most of their decisions was? Relationships between themselves and their mom and dad and submitting to their parents. It's interesting, our relationship to our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit is often mirrored by the way we respond to the authority God's placed in our home called mom and dad. I could tell you many, many stories like this, but not allowing the Holy Spirit in. I'm not going to let him convict me. What's the positive then? If it's we don't want to quench and we don't, we don't, we don't want to grieve and we don't want to rebel, what would be the right? The positive would be, listen. The biblical word is heed, cooperate, don't ignore, tune your heart. Follow. Yield. That's what the Holy Spirit's waiting for. And those things that I'm talking about are controlled inside this chest. And nobody can make anybody do anything. When a person's cooperating with the Holy Spirit, I was doing some research. I ran across a good list. We'll close with this, just listing it down. When the Holy Spirit's being allowed to do his work, let me tell you some of the fruit. You're confident in your salvation. You're disciplined in the study of the Word of God. It's growing. It's getting better. It's it's prospering. You love your local church. One of the good signs that you're resisting the Holy Spirit is you, you start resisting God's work, God's preaching, often God's preacher. For teenagers, it may be Pastor Stephen in the past. There'll be a love for the brethren that's genuine. You accept them for all their warts and all their ugliness, all their differentness. But you love them and you can't wait to be around them. There's a manifested constant joy in your life. Nothing's getting you down. You're the Holy Spirit's ministering in your heart. And I don't care what comes, he just keeps, picks you just keep picture right back up and you're right back on the path. Your prayer life is growing. It's getting power in it. And to bring things full circle in our studies that has been going on for the last couple months, at least in my study, this continual thanksgiving. No matter what happens when the Holy Spirit... Say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Just like we said today, Lord, thank you for COVID. When we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, our life just is manifestively full of confident joy and, and forwardness. And when not, it's miserableness, it's, it's rebellion, it's, it's feet in the ground, it's miserableness, it's, it's resistance, it's looking for the exit. Quench not the Holy Spirit. I remind you, that when Pharaoh was quenching the voice of God through Moses, there were ten plagues. The first five times it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, 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 heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God God hardened his heart, and killed his oldest boy. Be careful the road you start down. Five, four little words. Quench not the spirit. Seems like such an innocuous little teeny verse. And yet I can't think of something a whole lot more critical than being in tune Who are you in tune with tonight? We live in different ages. So used to be you had to turn a radio like, yee. now you just push a button, it goes right to it, okay? Who are you tuned into tonight? Lord, I'm, I'm trying, Lord, I'm trying to get, Lord, I, I want to be, I want to hear. I'm leaning in, Lord. Oh, I got it. Oh, god. amen. His bar heads, please. Lord, we pray tonight that our hearts would be yielded to you. That nothing between us and your you, Lord, in any way. In Jesus' name.